Presented by The 910 Comedy Podcast Network. Welcome back to Dead Girls Talking, your podcast home for all things strange and unusual. I'm Minda. And I'm Jenna. Let's get weird. Today we are joined. We have a very special guest. We have Mr. Steve Ward, paranormal researcher and uh, Mothman aficionado. Welcome, Steve. Uh, Thank you for having me. So we are going to talk about, um, I'm going to go ahead and say my favorite cryptid. And also, I think the one that is the most likely to be real. I I just really. really? Oh, yeah. No, I'm a I'm a Mothman believer. Oh, for like so many reasons. There's it, it was a, it was a short term sighting. Too many people with no reason to lie had paralleled experiences. I'm not going to I'm not going to take it. Steve, can you tell us a little bit about the history? Of, uh, I'm so excited. Well, the uh, there were a couple sightings, I guess, ahead of time. And one was in a, uh, a cemetery about an hour or so away. But the big, big sighting took place on November 15th, 1966. Now, I was a kid. I was in Michigan, growing up, up in Michigan. I was a kid in junior high. So, uh, and we had just a few months before that, we had just come off a wave of, of UFO sightings. We had a huge UFO flap in the Midwest, March of 1966. And those of you who, that know uh, the term swamp gas, that's where it started. Because Dr. J. Allen Hynek, then of Project Blue Book, came to Michigan and uh he, uh, he was an astronomer from Northwestern University. Uh, he was attached to Project, Project Blue Book, the, the Air Force's uh, organ to uh, investigate these things. It was more of a, uh, I think, a public relations thing. They weren't very serious. But, uh, uh, but he had become to believe that there really was something to this. So when this flap hit in, in Michigan, um, uh, then-Senator um, um, Gerald Ford, who became president later, was pretty angry that the Air Force wasn't taking any notice of this. So they sent Dr. Hynek in, and uh, he uh, he had to, uh, this is how it all started for me, really. He had to kind of straddle the fence, because while he, he knew a lot of these people were very credible, and especially in Michigan, there were, there were uh, police officers, there, were, there was a landing in Dexter, Michigan, um, uh, but he was still tied to the Air Force. So, and I remember this as a kid. He'd had this uh, news conference uh, at, at night, and uh, people were asking him about uh, the sightings and so forth. And they somebody held up a photograph of uh, George Adamski's uh, Venusian scout ship, the photograph, and he said it looked like a chicken brooder. But he finally he said some of the some of the sightings in Hillsdale, Michigan, might have been swamp gas. Well, that's all the press needed. Uh, they were all swamp gas, right? So uh, it became kind of a laughing stock, really. But then later on, 10 years later, actually, I saw him after he uh, founded the Center for UFO Studies in Edmondson, Illinois, became one of the good guys. And, of course, he wrote the book uh, The UFO Experience, where he first talks about close encounters of the third kind and so forth. So that set up everything there. That was March of 66. The following November was that first major flyover of the Mothman that chased two couples down Route 62, just north of, well, right into Point Pleasant. Um, they had gone out to the, what they, we call the TNT area. That's about nine miles north of Point Pleasant. It, it's had the nickname the TNT area 
because during World War II, if you look at the old photographs, if you Google them, you see this expansive area, this huge, huge complex where they made munitions for World War II. And they stored them in these 100 concrete bunkers. And um, the, 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 they, it, it, after it was, that was the 1940s. So by the 1960s, mid, late 1960s, it was just, uh, there were a few of the buildings left, but it became kind of a lover's lane, that kind of thing. And the Scarberries and the Mallets were two married couples, and they were driving around, and they drove by the old North Power Plant. And that's where uh, actually Linda Scarberry, she, they were driving on the road. She saw what she thought was a man standing on the road. And she said, what's that man doing there? Well, that man's wings spread out about 10 feet. And then they don't have red glowing eyes. And it was, it was walking, it was kind of shuffling and seemed to go into the old North Power Plant. Well, later on, it chased them into town, and this this sighting hit the wire services. I remember reading it as a kid, even before Mothman had his name, and uh, it went it went all over the world. So I thought, how cool is that? So yes. So when before he had his name Mothman, how was he referred to in the press? Just a sighting. I mean, locals just call him the bird. Sometimes big bird. The bird, big bird. Okay. And it was some. Uh, bird, bird is the word. We, and how did they describe him? Uh, about six, seven feet tall, roughly man-like, uh, piercing red glowing eyes. It didn't seem to be um, reflective. It seemed to be generating its own light. And a, a roughly a 10-foot wingspan. Now, there were many, wow. many things about this, 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 whatever it was. I don't know whether to call it a cryptid, an apparition, a paraphysical, or whatever. Because uh, I have long believed that we, we have to listen to the experiencer. And uh, yes. the uh, John Keel, of course, John Keel is the guy from New York who was uh, had been investigating UFOs. Uh, he came down to West Virginia, and uh, over that period of a year, from November '66 to December '67, uh, he interviewed a little over a hundred witnesses. Generally, not not exclusively, but generally, they described the same creature. But the behavior was bizarre. Uh, many biologists would probably say something with a 10-foot wingspan couldn't lift a six or seven-foot tall creature. The wings, he didn't always flap his wings. Sometimes it, it would be seen, uh, it would put its wings behind it and take off straight like a helicopter. Oh, uh, wow. Also, there was a couple other things. Uh, Keel got a couple reports of people that were close, had close proximity that uh, thought that... Uh, uh, they had heard something like a humming, perhaps something mechanical coming from it. What's this, a, a 1960s drone that chases cars? I, I don't know. But here's the really weird stuff, and it's really not so weird the more you get into some of these things. Uh, John Keel and then also a, a man named Franzen, a, a, a Swedish researcher, that followed Keel in about a year or two later and was a colleague of Keel, at least originally through uh, through correspondence. Uh a lot of the people that had an experience with a mothman would go home and have an outbreak of poltergeist phenomena. Oh, we just talked about that with Robert the doll. That yes, seems to be a linking thing. That's creepy. So this is this is one of the things where, where Keel was being, beginning to shy away from the uh, extraterrestrial hypothesis being uh, the only answer or maybe even valid and thinking that these things were very connected different, you know, uh, cryptids, UFOs, uh, uh, psychic phenomena. 
and um, and he he actually started writing about that in a book called Operation Trojan Horse which preceded the Mothman. He, he wrote the Mothman prophecies almost 10 years after the events. But the, the book that really, at the time, kind of, uh, I, I guess, traumatized is too much. But I used to be, in, back in the 1960s, I was very happy with, with E.T. I don't know, are you familiar with uh, Jim and Coral Lorenzen of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization? That, that was, uh, uh, they were uh, active in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And they wrote these great books on flying saucer occupants. And they were essentially what we call now close encounters of the third kind, where you have some kind of a landing, classic flying saucer or egg-shaped object. They see some kind of an entity, uh, maybe in a silver suit or whatever. And by the way, this is before the grays came in and took over. And just kind of, you know, we used to have some very cool euphonauts back in those days. But uh, I was very ingrained in the ET idea. When I read, now, uh, Keel wrote uh, another book prior to, well, actually about the same time, uh, two, it's under two titles, Strange Creatures from Time and Space, which has become the complete guide to mysterious beings. That's where he first talks about, starts talking about window areas, trying to come to grips with why do these things sort of pop in and pop out, scare the hell out of people, and then they're gone. They leave footprints. There's a, a physicality to them. Um, but also he found that certain areas that he called window areas that strange phenomena would repeat itself in different generations and not always the same, exactly the same thing. So that was a, that was a very important book for me to kind of uh, open my eyes to the idea and uh, the, uh, you know, of, of Keelian principles, Keelian thoughts uh, to uh, try and explain some of the, I guess, high strangeness aspect of some of these things. So give us a timeline. How many, how many times has the Mothman resurfaced since that initial sighting? Well, it, it, not, not too many. There are, uh, of course, there are people that have come out, out later that said that they saw the Mothman. I think some of them are credible. Uh, I w- I've talked to some of the locals down here in Point Pleasant. And uh, one lady told me, she said, back in those days, you just didn't talk about this stuff. It didn't matter what you saw. You were. You yeah, know, that's what I was going to ask you. Exactly. Right. So we, we don't know how many actually saw them. And uh, the people can't see it on the radio, but my cats are moving my background here, which is uh, pretty. Uh, it's almost like a, a special effect that I paid money for. But it's, 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 it's very couple. haunting as, it, as, as, the, as the Mothman undulates behind you. Yes. I, I hope it's the cats. I hope they're not in the other room. <laughs> Um. <laughs> but these these sightings were accompanied by other strange events, if not tragedies, right? Yes. Well, the, there was the uh, the Silver Bridge tragedy, which happened oh, actually yes. 13 months to the day that the Scarberries and the Mallets uh, sped down Route 62 to escape this creature that followed its car, their car, into Point Pleasant. Um the, and that's that's another thing we can get into. There's some people that believe that uh, some people think this creature or apparition was a harbinger. Others think it caused the bridge disaster and others uh, think there's no real connection. It just happened at the same time. Uh, what do you think? I think it probably was not. Uh, it, it was probably something that happened at the same time. Uh, these things are, are are really bizarre when you get into these high strangeness areas, as you as you mentioned. There's with all kinds of 
things going on. The, the, the UFO sightings, the strange lights mm -hmm. passing over the Ohio Valley in this area. John Keel used to go, you know, the TNT area became so saturated with people that wanted to bag a Mothman. They had their shotguns and bow and arrows, long lines driving. Can you imagine what, what could have? You know, I have to tell you just one funny story. There was a lady who used to run, uh, she's no longer with us, named Vi. She used to have a, a beauty parlor right down in Point Pleasant. I, I believe she, she told us that she was actually in the low hotel, which is right there in Point Pleasant, when the bridge collapsed and she could hear the, the crash. Mm. But uh, she told us that she loved all this stuff. We were in there uh, some, uh, just, just talking to, to them about the old days and about Mothman. She said there was, a, there was another kind of a, a lover's lane where, where, where people would park. A couple of guys pulled up very, very stealthily. They had two giant feather pillows and two shotguns. And they threw the pillows up in the air, shot them, feathers going everywhere, and they yelled, Mothman. Now, according to Vi, those people cleared out in about a minute. So that was, uh, there were a lot of, <laughs> a lot of shenanigans. I love, going I love that all of the, the Mothman and Bigfoot and Yeti situations, they're really all out there to prevent teenage pregnancy. Like <laughs> there is no, there is no lover lane situation when these guys are on the job and you have to leave room for Jesus. If Mothman is in there the Leave room for Mothman. Leave room for Mothman. But uh, uh, and, and now there were, uh, there were a few other, uh, Jeff Wamsley, who runs the Mothman Museum, who he actually he, he co-founded the Mothman Festival, which, which we can talk about later. He's written a couple of great books. I mean, he grew up in that area. He was five and six years old when these sightings started and when the bridge collapsed. He was uh, Linda Scarberry's paper boy. I mean, the people wow. that saw this thing were right on the street. Can you imagine growing up in a town with a monster in your backyard? I mean, it doesn't well, get any better. I'm from Florida. So. Ah, okay. You're not talking about the tourists, right? I am 100 percent oh, talking about the tourists. Right. Um, no, but that's a that's an interesting headspace because I don't I don't know anyone personally that claims to have seen something like that. And if that's a if that's a neighborhood phenomenon, and there are people that you see every day that you feel are credible, well, I have, that's, I have, yeah, that's I have, real to you. I have spoken to some of the original witnesses. Uh, I did speak to Linda Scarberry uh, a couple times before she died, and Tom Urey was another one, and Faye DeWitt, who's not mentioned in the uh, Mothman Prophecies book, is another one. Uh, she went out there with her uh, her siblings. Her, her brother thought it was a big joke, so they drove out by the old North Power Plant, and she was younger, and she had a couple of... Uh, couple of brothers there one one just hid down and wouldn't look out he was just hiding in the back seat but uh they they saw this thing she said it didn't actually seem to fly it jumped up on top of the old north power plant then at one point it seemed to run along with the car and even jumped up on the hood mm. so yeah. it's, it's interesting that she didn't follow the uh the the standard while well, it was flying and did this and that it had it was kind of another experience uh, sometimes these creatures or whatever they are uh seem to i don't know if they're just seen differently or if they manifest differently i, I don't know but uh i know that uh, uh seth breedlove who's done uh, uh a couple of great uh, dvds of the mothman with small town monsters the mothman of point pleasant and the mothman legacy uh in the mothman legacy you will occasionally see my handsome countenance uh pontificating on the mothman so and, and i'm actually in the mothman of point pleasant but you got to be real quick. You'll see the back of my head toward the end of the uh, DVD. 
and uh, you could still tell a film was, credit. Uh, I was that's still a film credit. Be a star though, but uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, there's a couple. There's a few people in there that uh, claim to have seen something in West Virginia, something like the Mothman. Uh, Jeff Wamsley, in his one of his books, uh, Mothman: The Facts Behind the Legend, which is a great book where he chronicles a, a lot of the, the the newspaper clippings and the original handwritten statements by the Scarberries and the Mallets that they gave the, to the police department when they were separated. Uh, there was a gentleman in there who I can't remember his name right now, but in the 90s, he drove out around the TNT area. And even though he was from this area, he had never really been out there. And he saw something that sounds like it could have been the Mothman. We have to be very careful because, as you know, being in this, there are many, many winged cryptids and things that people see. And it's very tempting for people to say, oh, that was the Mothman. Well, I, I'm here to tell you that the Mothman, I think, was pretty unique and time and space. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what some of these other things are. Uh, you know, we had the Wisconsin man bat. What about 10 years ago that Linda Godfrey reported on um, the there was the Houston Batman back in the 1950s. Uh, there are Thunderbirds. Uh, actually, one of the in quotes Mothman witnesses, Tom Urey, he saw something much more like a Thunderbird. Uh, he was driving in his convertible right around the same time. And he saw this thing overhead. Uh, unnerved him a little bit, but it wasn't the Mothman per se. And he told me, he was at one of the Mothman festivals, he told me that he thought originally, see, he hadn't met some of the other prime Mothman witnesses until that year. You know, people think that, well, you're in the same town and, you know, everything, everybody knows everybody. But he had just met that time when I'm talking to him, he had just met Linda Scarberry and Faye DeWitt. He said, that he thought that uh, people saw what he did, but perhaps the freakout factor made them imprint other things on it. But once he talked mm-hmm. to one of the major witnesses, who I never spoke to, but uh, Marcella Bennett, they were in a car together going to Catanning, Pennsylvania, where they filmed the, the Mothman Prophecies movie. And right. uh, they were doing some kind of promotional event. And so he said, okay, let's tell each other our stories. And so he came to the conclusion that, in fact, they saw something very different. So uh, uh, and and Marcella Bennett was the one who uh, she went out to the TNT area, she and her brother, with the idea that they were going to tap on the windows of one of their friends that lived out there with the Mothman furor. She didn't they didn't believe any of it. And so they got out there. Nobody was home. They're walking back to the car. And this thing rises up off the ground. She's so yes. so freaked out. She dropped her infant child, but the baby was all right. But I mean, it was just uh, go ahead. Put that in a police report. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I saw this this winged wind demon. Um, you probably she, care very little about cryptid taxonomy <laughs> if it's jumping on the hood of your car. <laughs> but uh, you know, she was. Uh, I've seen long form interviews with her. And some of these people were really affected. They wouldn't drive at night afterwards. And, you know, some these people experienced something. I, I still don't know what it was. Uh, even if we want to call it paraphysical, that doesn't fit everything. And there's so many, as you mentioned before, there's so many mysteries that surround this time period in, in the Ohio Valley. And not just the Ohio Valley. There was a lot of stuff going on all over the place. So what That's is crazy. your theory? To me, what sets this apart is... Um, if you take like Bigfoot, people, a lot of people think that there are families of Bigfoots that are just in remote areas and there's few enough of them that sightings are scarce. But nobody, nobody thinks that there's a nest of mothmen. It's a singular entity, right? 
Well, it's very interesting. I went down uh, February 2009. Remember the uh, TV show Paranormal State, the young kids mm -hmm. that were investigating, uh, and they would have chip coffee on occasionally? Well, they, they did a Mothman episode. One of my uh, buddies was in that as a cameo, and um, uh, they had a return to Mothman, uh, not a conference, but a, a gathering uh, on, in February of 2009. And uh, it was a lot of fun. They were uh, they were very good to their fans. Chip Coffee was there. I happened to be on the bus that went out with Chip Coffee and one of the other uh, uh, kids, uh, Heather was it Heather Taddy, I think. And so we're out there on. Uh, we, we drove down. Uh, uh, we went north on Route 62, made a right on Potter's Creek Road, where all these uh, these bunker roads, these igloo roads, you can still access some of these old bunkers, even though the whole area is just all grown over. And uh, we were out there with Chip Coffee, and he said, well, he said on the, on the show that he picked up some kind of an energy that he couldn't identify. He'd never picked it up anywhere else, and he was supposedly getting it that, that day we were out there. He said he thought there were four of them. Well, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if there were four of them or not. I mean, I don't know what it was, honestly. So it's possible. Four, four moth persons? Yes, four of these entities. And I don't mm -hmm. know what significance that would have. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, I'm tempted to say it's something paraphysical. But then if these people are right, why are we hearing a humming sound or a, a, a sort of an engine sound? Um, that would kind of go along with perhaps the poltergeist phenomena. That would make sense. But, you know, there, there, there was another, another aspect to this that was weird. Um, John Keel found near the old North power plant, he found these weird kind of skinny little footprints that might've been associated with the Mothman. But he also found these large dog-like footprints, which had to be something he said very heavy, like 300 pounds because of the way it sunk in. Now, nowadays we talk about the dog man, the upright canids that Linda Godfrey has written about. Back then, nobody was writing about that stuff. Where the heck did these footprints come from? And he, uh, in the Mothman prophecies, he talks about it. He found them in another area, another hot spot where UFOs were seen near Charleston. Uh, he consulted with Ivan Sanderson. Now, Ivan Sanderson was the great British naturalist that transplanted to New Jersey. He's probably best known for the abominable snowman, Legend Come to Life. And he wrote other great books on UFOs. He said the same thing, that in these paranormal hotspots, we keep finding these dog-like footprints. But there's no more information there, you know. So the, the theory is that there are places on Earth where there are higher concentrations of this activity. We're not sure why, but the Mothman, the Mothman is just one of many of these phenomenon, cryptids, whatever you want to call it. That it was So I think South Hills, Virginia might be another one that's the site of a lot of UFO activity. Are there, is, is that the theory that there are just places where these things happen? Well, there are, I call them high strangers areas. People want to label them as uh, window areas of vortexes, portals or whatever. Uh, I was just yeah. in one, um, I, I spoke at the, uh, uh, the Dogman conference, the, uh, the Beast of Bray Road conference, um, which is in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, where, where uh, Linda Godfrey first started writing about the Beast of Bray Road. There's a man there named Lee Hample, who his farm is just like two-tenths of a mile from Bray Road. And uh, he's a retired guy. He's a, you know, a, a mathematic. He was a mathematics teacher and, and, and had chemistry degrees and didn't believe any of this nonsense. You know, he, uh, he, he told Linda Godfrey when he met her, he said, 
you know, if I had read your books three months earlier, I would have thrown them in the trash. But he goes, this is like, he's been out there. Yes. Every author loves to hear that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that high strangeness area yes. is That's so wonderfully descriptive. Do you, what is, what's your theory? I like to blame radiation for everything that doesn't make intuitive sense to me. Um, when you say, you know, a place where the veil is thin, a place where there's a portal, a window, I feel like there are so many different schools of thought, some scientific, some spiritual. Where do you fall? I, you know, uh, uh, John Keel thought a, a, lot of, a lot of these things were a natural condition of the planet. We didn't necessarily need to look off world to find out where these things are coming from. And again, if we go back to Lee Hample, he was uh, he was told uh some of the locals there said, you know, there's a werewolf that lives in those woods back there on your property. And he's looking at them like, what the hell are you talking about? But then he had a couple of credible uh, uh, neighbors tell him what they saw, this upright canid. And then he has seen it. He's even had missing time there. He set up these trap cameras. He's got thousands of pictures. Some of these are documented in the Bray Road Beast by small town monsters. He's been on TV a couple times. Uh, I have been there to see his photographs. He doesn't let them all out, but there's something bizarre, some kind of technology. There's these flying things in, in the sky. Some look like classic UFOs. Uh, he even has uh, uh, pictures of things that kind of suggest they might be a portal. Uh, he has the, the, the footprints. They're, they're like five toed with a pad and a heel. There's nothing in, in, in nature with that. But they start in the middle of nowhere and go through the snow. And then there's this one photograph where you can tell the way this thing steps is almost like one foot or paw in front of the other while being upright. Then all of a sudden, this, this, uh, this pathway, this, the, these footprints split into two as if Ooh. he was holding his buddy on his on his, yeah. on his shoulders and let him down. It was down. then that you carried me. <laughs> I know, you beat me to, you beat me to it. Dang it. <laughs> and then they disappear. Uh, it's just, it's phenomenal. To, it's just mind-blowing to see the photographs he's got there. He can't get uh, scientists or universities interested. You've got a virtual laboratory here. And, and obviously he made peace with Linda Godfrey because she talked about him in her one book, Monsters Among Us. He's under a pseudonym in that in that one, but now his name is out there. But uh, a great guy. He was on my show, The High Strangest Factor. And um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's I, I, you know, to answer your question, I, I don't know. It, it is like some of these areas, the air is thin, so to speak. So what, what, what I see this paradox with, uh, with Lee Hample's farm, you've got some seeming technology. And then you've got these animals that eat roadkill and eat bait. They're like animals. They're not like some highly intelligent being. But there's something that helps to cloak them. He has set up so many traps where he's had roadkill or whatever, where these things, something takes it, but the cameras don't work. He even has had uh, carcasses out there of, de of deer. And you'll, you'll see the timestamp on the photograph. It's there. A mist shows up a little bit later, and then it's gone. No drag marks, no footprints, and this is repeated. So... Now, if we go back to, to Mothman and, and the Point Pleasant, when, uh, you know, John Keel escaped the TNT area, he and Mary Heyer, Mary Heyer was a major figure in this. She was the, the reporter he became friends and, a col and colleagues with. Uh, she wrote a, a column called Where the Waters Mingle. 
and she was the one reporting on the Mothman and uh, the Men in Black and all the UFO uh, sightings. Well, they went down a little bit south of here to Gallopus Ferry, and they found out. I can't imagine how desolate the hollers are down there a half a century ago. But they would—they found this one hill where the, the 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 farmers would go to bed early to see the lights go off, and they would just stop there. And there were all kinds of bizarre, unidentified lights that would cross over uh, in that area. This area was so active, and then there was another another area. Uh, the Lily family is mentioned in the Mothman prophecies. That's Camp Conley Road, which is kind of uh, toward the south end of the TNT area. They were seeing all kinds of strange lights. They were having uh, bedroom invaders, men in black like bedroom invaders in their bedroom, uh, strange uh, uh, ghostly phenomena. So uh, this, whatever the heck was going on, and it's not, you know, we know about the Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, there's the I was, yeah table. yeah so my dad's a big ufo dude and so i grew up hearing all kinds of theories and one of the theories that he that was exposed to us through some program probably nova um it's talking about how it's these portals are from their extraterrestrial situations and these are just different planet and we're like a prison planet we're like the galaxies australia is what is one of the things that i you know, one of the theories that I heard growing up from my dad. So that's why you have ones that look different, right. like from grays to the moth people persons. I don't want to disrespect anybody's label <laughs> or the yetis or whatever. And so that was one of the things, where do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's viable? Cause all of this is very incredible. Well, uh, going with John Keel, he, he began to believe that uh, he actually rejected the extraterrestrial hypothesis toward the late 60s. Uh, I did for a while too, but I, I'm kind of like Keel later on, he left the door open a little bit. Um, there's, there's one of my premises is there's more than one answer to some of these things. Um, there, there may actually be a real physicality to some of these, whether they be extra dimensional or extraterrestrial. But there is an aspect of this. One of, one of the things that led Keel to the window idea was that if you look at a, uh, a, a chart of the different types of craft people report and even the type different type of entities again before the grays showed up and messed up everything that's just my opinion um there's almost no similarity you have these general categories that are the same right. but when you get down into the nitty-gritty there's so many differences and um you know the thing is if you you can compare some modern-day UFO experiences to various traditions and folklore. If you are familiar with Jacques Vallée, his, uh, he wrote a book called Passport to Magonia. Now, this was after he had written uh, two books, a very, very oriented toward uh, a nuts-and-bolts approach to UFOs, a challenge to science and anatomy of a phenomena. But then he, he wrote uh, Passport to Magonia. It's almost like you could see him throwing his hands up because things weren't making sense. And he said, he starts off by saying, this is not a scientific book. Then he proceeds to uh, give you all the parallels between uh, the fairies, the elementals, the little people, and modern day UFO experiences, such as missing time, for example. Missing time right. is not a new idea. When people encountered the fairies, they we would have this time distortion thing. And, uh, you know, but instead of, of getting that, uh, 
unscheduled medical exam with no deductible and no copay, uh, you might be whisked away to an underground kingdom, although sometimes people feel they've been whisked away to an underground UFO base or maybe in a castle or in, inside a mountain or something. But if you look at some of the ex descriptions of some of the entities, if you were to, to discard their little silver coveralls and give them a little green tunic and red cap, in some cases, they look very similar. Yes. Very so similar, I, yeah. I don't know if it's a prison planet or not. I don't know. Some of these things are are more ethereal. Uh, Keel even went out on a limb and talked about things. He, he thought that perhaps in some cases that the objectively true part of some of these were the strange meandering lights that people would see. Uh, people would see them. They would be programmed. Some people would uh, see a large black triangle. Somebody else might see a hairy biped wander off into the woods, but he wasn't sure how how physical some of these were. Uh, That's but, just dating in North Carolina for us. <laughs> okay. Um, the hairy biped walking off into the woods. <laughs> he also came up with the, the, the He used the, the term transmogrification. Now, I love that word. The only other place I've heard it is in Kelvin and Hobbes comic strips. But he thought that perhaps that some of these things were actually at least temporarily physical and that they were, you know, there was some force or intelligence that would temporarily create these sort of constructs and then they would sort of evaporate or dissipate. And uh, he even thought that in some cases people were having their experiences were totally within themselves. They were uh, not, not uh, hallucinations but they would have some kind of a real external experience, but they wouldn't go anywhere. They would have this, this uh, they would think that they were having a physical experience with an abduction or, or entities. The example I could give with that was uh, Anne Jeffries in the 1600s. She would talk about all these incredible adventures and, and, and uh, stories she had with the little people, but she never left her room. She would go into a trance state. So we thought there were many different uh, uh, possibilities for some of these things, but he wasn't rejecting the, the, at least temporal physicality of some of these things. Um, so, what's your what's your opinion? Do you think people who experience these things are crossing the veil, or these things are crossing the veil and getting experienced? I think that there is an aspect in human consciousness that that uh, helps to co-create some of these experiences. Uh, call them deep embedded archetypes or whatever. Many of these things don't seem to be uh, uh, permanently physical or or intelligences from elsewhere. There, there is something about. Uh, are you guys familiar with the uh, the film Forbidden Planet? A great science fiction film made in the 1950s. The MacGuffin is where they they they're on this planet, and the 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 uh, the ancient civilization was. Uh, very far advanced and all they're all dead but all the technologies there they learned how to create matter out of out of thought and but what they forgot here's the MacGuffin was that when they did that they forgot about monsters from the id you know Sigmund Freud's subconscious uh mm. the, the darkest part of us and so they they inadvertently created these monsters that and eventually destroyed them well, that's, that's a little bit dramatic for what I think might be going on, but perhaps, you know, some of these things, when you look at some of the uh, more modern day men in black experiences and you go back into the, the lore of, uh, 
of witches consorting with uh, demons. Some of the demons they describe are wearing dark suits and hats and uh, almost seem like another uh, version of the men in black because some of the men in black, yeah. it's, Keel used it as a generic term. I mean, look, there are some people that uh, were probably government uh, officials messing with people. Some of the experiences uh, that Keel described in the Mothman prophecies just got a little bit strange. Uh, these people were, uh, it seemed to be completely out of place and uh, almost seemed demonic. So I'm lobbying for an entire future episode about sleep paralysis, but these things that you're describing, one of uh, one of the favorite ways to explain away a truly strange experience is to say, oh, you, it was sleep paralysis. What's your thought on that? Do you think that we're creating these authentic lived experiences in our mind and it's real? But how it's can that be? Well, I have a, I have a follow-on question to your question: Is how could that be if someone if it if the Mothman jumped on the car like in that one story? You know, like how could that be in someone's head if there's more than one witness to that? And like a phys that's like a physical manifestation, a shared physical manifestation. Well, there are there are footprints, there are burn marks, there are landing yeah. but there, I think some of these experiences are probably definitely sleep paralysis. Um, oh, so, that's horrifying. Um, but I don't. Uh, I don't think that. Uh, yeah, as long as I don't have that, uh, that'd be great. Right. Like, stay away from <laughs> me with that, Mr. Sleep Paralysis Demon. <laughs> but you'd rather be really abducted. Okay, I understand. I understand. But when things can actually cross we, over, we and wish. <laughs> well, we were talking about this today. We wish one of us would get abducted. You know, just take us away and let us talk about it for now. It would be a whole new show. But so I think again, I think that we we have to be careful. There's probably many explanations for some of these things. I, I and I even think that, that there is something again about human consciousness, and it's it's very hard to describe Keel in a few paragraphs. But uh, he uh, when he talked about these uh, uh, transmogrifications of energy and that these things may be temporal, uh, he it wasn't really clear as to whether or not it was some kind of a parallel intelligence you know off in another dimension or 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 perhaps something more out of it like a, a, a paraphysical manifestations of a human subconscious uh, but uh, I also think there are when you look at some of the and it's very hard to separate the two in some instances it does seem like we are definitely dealing with some other intelligence and uh, you know I wonder I've often wondered if if that's the case, if there is another intelligence, wherever it, its origin or how many there are, and, and if I'm right about this mechanism in human consciousness, are they aware of that? Could they exploit that? Could they utilize that somehow uh, through force of will or technology? And if that's the case, perhaps they could really uh, mask what they're doing and really confuse us. Um, mm. A keel. It's, what are they do? Like, what are they doing though? Like, what is the point of that? Well, you see, I, I don't know. I mean, I you look at Lee Hample's farm. What are they doing there? I, you know, I wondered it, were the dogmen something that you know? I talked to. Uh, there's a team, uh, the Bucks County Paranormal Team. They went out there on Lee Hample's farm, and there you can see their uh, their uh, investigation on YouTube. Well, they went out there this one night, and you can hear they first of all Dominic sees this uh, light in the sky and it's like, well, is it a satellite? I mean, is it a plane? No. Satellite? No. Because all of a sudden it streaks across the sky. 
which, you mm. know, and, and again, Lee Hample has taken all kinds of photographs of strange things there. But then they hear this howling and they hear howling on the other side of the uh, of the farm, howling back and forth. Now, I'm not an expert on animal sounds, but they also saw eye shine about six feet off the ground. So they got a little unnerved. And I asked Dominic, mm -hmm. now it, Eric, it's Eric Settel and Dominic uh, Mentel. Uh, uh, I asked Dominic, who's a sensitive, I said, what were you feeling out there? And he said, I felt like I was underwater in a shark cage and I was holding the bait. They were really mm -hmm. freaking out. And then they saw this mist start to form, which, you know, there've been these strange mists that have formed there. And some of them weren't even captured on camera. Now that mist could have easily been uh, a natural atmospheric condition, but they did decide to leave that night. Now I wonder what, what if these dogmen are there to scare the people away? What if, what if Keel was onto something? And these are, I mean, this is crazy speculation. So you can cut this if you want. But what if never, these never, are, never, uh, never. are constructs somehow? I mean, if, if transmogrifications can occur, like Keel suggested, what if they could be uh, created? What if these things were created by this other intelligence that's going about doing what it is? And we, and we see this stuff because, for whatever reason, it's a grand central station of all this activity, and the air happens to be thin there. And the only reason we're capturing it is because Lee has all these cameras all over the place. So I just wonder if, in, in other words, both are true. We have a real physicality. We have some nuts and bolts UFOs, maybe have, even have crashed, uh, some physical cryptids. Uh, Keel even thought that some of them were actual real animals, but he thought others were, were not. There was something else going on. So I think that's what makes it so confusing. There, there is definitely, here's another thing he found out. People that had experiences with cryptids and with UFOs would sometimes suffer the same physical ailments, headaches, thirst, uh, body aches, and even conjunctivitis. You know, the eye burn that people get by from a close proximity yeah. of a UFO sighting. Well, one of the early Mothman witnesses, Connie Carpenter, was driving by Mason County Golf Course and she saw this thing about five, uh, six, seven feet tall. Uh, it's, it, she could see the red glowing eyes, which freaked her out, and it took off straight like a helicopter. The next day, she had conjunctivitis. She did not see a UFO. She saw the Mothman. Interesting that people would suffer the same ailments from something that's supposed to be completely different. Huh. I mean, it's just... When we get into this, it's paradox upon paradox. I, I like to I like to bring up the uh, remember Alice in Wonderland and the Red Queen. Yes, I call it sure, the Red yes, Queen. Of yes. yes, she told Alice, "Well, if you're going to get anywhere, you got to run faster and faster." So poor Alice is running as fast as she possibly can, and the trees aren't going anywhere. Sometimes I feel like that's what happens when we try to sort out what these things really mean or what they're all about. We have some. Very intellectual listener questions okay, I'm ready. Um, that we can throw okay, at guys. you. Guys, <laughs> I'm sure that they will we'll, we'll hit it off. Do you oh, imagine that the Mothman is soft? The, the Mothman is what? Do you think he would be soft, like snuggly? Oh. Yeah, oh. like snuggly. You mean uh, physically, like soft, or or uh, like emotionally? <laughs> Or, or just a nice guy, all around. You guy. know, it's unclear from the no, question. You can answer that as well. Both. That's a good question. I think we um, should both. Well, I think that uh, 
Well, it, it seemed to leave footprints, um, but it, it, I would say it's that if, it's probably at least um, paraphysical or temporarily physical. Now, it's interesting, if you look at it the other way, there are some people that think the Mothman caused the, the bridge collapse, which happened at the end of that year. There are other yeah, people and, and that wait, think... What's that? Well, with, that bridge, with the bridge collapse, how do they think he caused that? Just his very existence? Because let's just say he is 6, 7, 10 feet. You see just a flying mean, moth and then a bridge collapses. I mean... Just well, I the, get that. But I mean, if we're talking about the physicality of something here, it's still not bigger than a semi evil influence, perhaps. If it's a more of a demonic kind of thing, perhaps. But there's uh, and others think it was a harbinger. But there are others that say that this was a protector. And maybe it's more in the harbinger range. There are even keel. Now, there's a, uh, uh, out of mythology, there is the Garuda, uh, I believe Hindu mythology. And the Garuda is a protector. And even John Keel, when he, his first title for the book was not the Mothman Prophecies, it was the year of the Garuda. So there are all kinds of different opinions about that perhaps this Mothman was a was a good force, maybe even trying to warn people. But what I say about Harbingers, couldn't you be a little more specific? Couldn't you uh, maybe pull a... Uh, like an advertising plane has the the message behind it and say the bridge is going to collapse on december 15th you know people yeah. actually the you know you get into the prophecies part of the book is gets really weird but people like uh, mary hire the reporter and even a uh, mrs tom uh, tomlinson who saw had one of the last sightings of the mothman in the tnt area she said it was actually walking very quickly like a robot there's another aspect but they were having dreams of packages, like Christmas packages, floating on the river. And, of course, it was December 15th when this thing collapsed. So that's one element of the film that they kind of got in there. They incorporated several things of the book and kind of went their own way in other ways. But uh, so they were that there was something they were picking up on something. But and, and also there were uh, John Teal was getting uh, he was in contact with several people. That and they believed they were in contact, real contact with other intelligences, uh, maybe something like the Space Brothers, or you know, some people claimed one-on-one -on -one experiences. Other people claim it's more like a, a channeling thing, but uh, they were getting all kinds of prophecies. Some of them would come true, and they were all starting to get that there was some kind of a hint about a disaster on the Ohio River. But Keel was blindsided. He thought it was going to be a, a factory blowing up or something like that. But he had no idea where. And he wouldn't wouldn't announce it because if something did blow up, he'd be the first one they'd throw in jail. Exactly. And yeah. So when, when the bridge collapsed, well, actually leading up to that, then the, the prophecies did come a little clearer. Uh, these people and these were he called them silent contactees because they weren't looking for publicity. They didn't care if anybody believed their stories or not. Well, they started hearing from their whatever that there was going to be an EM effect and it was going to happen. Now, they didn't explain what an EM effect was going to be, but it was going to happen on December 15th, the, the moment that President Johnson lit the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Center. And uh, Keel writes by this time, now he was in New York, actually, when this happened. By this time, he had bought into it hook, line and sinker. He was he was completely paranoid. And he was holed up in his New York apartment with a bunch of bottles of water. And then the uh, the uh, lighting of the Christmas tree happened and everything was fine. 
But then shortly after, there was a blurb that came on the TV that the bridge between Ohio and Point Pleasant had collapsed. And he was just mm. furious. He thought, you know, why weren't these prophecies more specific where they could have yeah. warned? And he spent hours trying to get a hold of Mary Heyer to find out if she was all right and other people that they knew. So it sounds like he's not as snuggly as, as your question person would have wanted, Jenna. No, no. A lot of listeners wanted to know his opinion on lamps. Now, I hate myself for asking you that question. Just understand that. Oh, I, okay. Lamps, okay. Is he attracted oh, to I, lamps? I, I did see a, a great yeah. cartoon uh, where uh, the, yeah. the Mothman was a uh, superhero Mothman, and the bad guys turned on the, 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 the porch light. So he's just there in trance when they get away right. with the Yes. So, uh, the, oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's not a bad question because... Uh, it's a terrible thing, question, and I hope they're ashamed of themselves for making well, me I ask can, you that. I can derive something. I can save this question. Um, okay. <laughs> the Mothman had nothing to do with a moth. Uh, there are all kinds of stylized representations of the Mothman, including the, the majestic Mothman statue in downtown Point Pleasant, right next to the Mothman Museum, which is very cool. Bob Roach was a it was a genius the way he put this together. I've but been. the reason it the, the with some creative copy editor perhaps, that uh, came up with this, and instead of just calling it the bird, um, uh, the Batman TV show was on at that time with Adam West. It was very popular. Mm -hmm. So it was just a play on Mothman, um, on Batman. Mm. If there were no Batman, they probably would have called, called it the Batman, but that had Which already been taken. Brings us to our next question, eggs or live birth? Oh my gosh. Where did you um, ask questions? <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think it's a a real animal that uh, you know that was sounds uh, like a robot. Well, it, I don't know what it is really. I mean, there's so many so many contradictions to it, but yet all these people saw it. Um, so I think it was temporal, whatever it was. But even that doesn't make any sense. Um, there are some people that believe that. Uh, it was all subterfuge. It's, this was some kind of a military experiment to mess with people. And it, it just so much of that that just doesn't fit. Um, uh, you know, they, I don't know how they would have created all the, the strange lights and UFOs and experiences with the, uh, the men in black that seemed to be apparitional. But wait a minute, here's another aspect to, uh, to Mothman that I just remembered. A lady named Pat Gray, her husband was a minister they were missionaries and they were going off to New Guinea, I think. And so this one night in the midst of all, now they didn't know anything that was going on because it had just happened. They had an apparition appear in their bedroom that looked like the moth yeah. wings, red glowing eyes and everything. And they, they prayed from their own perspective and uh, it went away. And the next day they went off to New Guinea. They were gone for years they came back later and started looking at all the newspaper clippings because they had been completely out of touch. And they thought, my God, that's what we saw in our bedroom. So another aspect of the Mothman that you try and put everything together. You know, there are some people that that believe that because the, the TNT area was one of these areas, uh, I forget what they call it, but it was uh, it was polluted, you know, for all the uh, the war stuff. And it became a, a cleanup site in the 90s. Uh, some people suggest that a, a mutation of some kind i think that's the least likely uh because mm -hmm. we, we know we know from uh research that what mutate what happens with mutations i mean if it, there's some kind of toxic waste and if it's a bird or whatever 
it, it might not even form wings properly, or it might grow, try to grow a third wing that's uh, inoperable yeah. uh, to, to form this perfect, bizarre hybrid of sort of a, sort of a man and sort of a bird. It's just, I don't, I just think it's impossible. That's one of so the few things I'd say. What do you think the intellect level is of said Mothman? His intellectual level? Yeah. I'm not sure that it uh, it has it. I mean, it might be more responsive to the animal a, a general belief system, you know. Um, okay. I don't, uh, you know, I, I, I really, again, I really, even John Keel would tell you he did not know what the Mothman was. Hmm. It's just that he caught, talked to many credible people that, that saw something very, very strange. But if you're sitting at home wondering whether or not it has a cloaca, do better. I don't think we will ever find Mothman eggs or Mothwoman well, thank eggs. Thank God. Regardless of how that, you know, I don't, uh, I, I don't think, but, you know, there was one other report in all the literature that looked very much like what they saw in Point Pleasant in the 60s. And that goes back almost three years before to the, almost to the day that the two couples were chased down Route 62. And that's in Kent, England. It's called it the Saltwood Horror. Oh. And, uh, this is uh, this actually brings into uh, Paul Devereaux, another great researcher who wrote about, uh, you know, Earth energies and that sort of thing. He coined a term called proto entity. And the proto entity is where you see the light or what appears to be a craft or whatever. And it's almost inseparable from the, the entity or the being associated with it. Sometimes it morphs into it. Um, the, these these uh, students were coming back from. Uh, a, a dance and they saw this strange light uh, come down behind a grove of trees. And then they saw another light form and disappear. And then they saw this, this, this winged creature. And it looked, it looked, uh, the, the Mothman looked almost like it didn't have a head. It's like the eyes were kind of sunken down in his chest almost, but this thing looked just like that. It didn't have the red glowing eyes, but it had the, the bat wings. It had the, uh, it did the shuffling when it walked. Uh, so it was that that's the closest report I've ever heard to what they were seeing. But uh, but Paul Devereaux takes it further and he talks about other uh, cases where people see the the lights or the light and it morphs into something else, something like a Bigfoot or uh, some kind of a little entity that's encased in a, a blue globe. Uh, it's just it's very interesting where uh, uh, if you uh, analyze in his book called uh, Earth Lights, uh, he talks, uh, he gives a lot of examples of these proto entities all the way back to uh, the, the mid 1900s. There was a guy on the Isle of Skye. He's watching this light come in off the ocean and it comes to the cliff and then it morphs into a woman in a cloak carrying a child, carrying a baby. And she walks off and disappears. Now, you know, I don't know how we explain this stuff. But again, it's one of these things where you see the light or the orb or whatever, and it morphs into something else, which may or may not be actually physical. It may still be some kind of a elusive apparition. But it's wild that there's so similar, the two creatures. Right. That was, that was one that, uh, but that, that happens sometimes with in UFO literature and in, in UFO uh, craft or, or spaceships or whatever you want to call them. But it's, uh, it's just... Uh, it just doesn't happen that often. And, you know, we talked, I mentioned the Skinwalker Ranch. If you go back earlier, uh, a, a, name, uh, a guy named uh, Frank Salisbury wrote a book called The UFO Utah, the Utah UFO Display. 
and he um, interviewed, it was Junior Hicks, was a local uh, uh, high school teacher there that had chronicled all these different sightings. You open that book and you see the two-page spread of all the types of craft people reported just in that area over that time period. There's almost nothing the same. It's like this incredible Grand Central Station. You know, everybody's got a different car, you know, coming from wherever they're coming from. So one wonders, is that uh, one other thing about the grays? You notice how I keep I keep ripping on the grays. I hope they don't yeah. take on me, you know. But I uh, hope they're listening though, because we need the downloads. Well, we used to find grays once in a while back in the literature, but they didn't seem to show up in mass until two things happened. 1977 or 8, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and then early 1980s with Whitley Strieber's book, Communion, and that mm -hmm. striking picture of that uh, gray yes. on the cover. Yes, yes. Maybe a coincidence, I don't know. But the, yeah, so you're saying that it's become more common because it was in well, the Well, I'm just suggesting that it may not be the new kids on the block pushing everybody else out. There may be something more reflective or, as Keel suggested, a natural condition of the planet. And these things might be more, uh, I, I don't know, uh, sort of a co-creation uh, from us. Uh, you know, it just, imitating it, life kind of thing. On the other hand, you know, Jacques Vallée uncovered uh, in Passport to Magonia, he talks about some of the Swedish fairies. And some of those guys had big bulbous heads and long skinny arms. I wonder if they mm -hmm. also had a great power. I don't know. Right. Wow. But it's I, worth considering if you're being chased by a cryptid, your instinct would be to run for your life, but maybe you should turn around because it's just trying to warn you about an impending bridge collapse. Well, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't fault wow, anybody I, from putting distance yeah, away from a, 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 a cryptid. You know, if that's, uh, I'm not going to tell anybody that I will uh, stand up to a, a big, smelly Bigfoot or a, uh, a giant winged apparition. Um, yeah, I'd like to think a, I could. At least some of them are ostensibly quite helpful. Well, uh, no, they're also probably quite hungry. <laughs> How do you know it's not just trying to like run after you because you left your umbrella or something? It's going to be like, hey, you're going to get in an elevator tomorrow. Don't do that. First of all, if anything's trying to make me run, I'm just dead. So it well, can enjoy the meal that is me. I would know because I don't ever carry an umbrella. Right. So you've not had an experience yourself. You're just you're just a very I, I, avid researcher had, and historian. I had one weird experience. After I went okay. to the TNT area alone one night, okay. Ooh, bad idea, and, Steve. Well, I, I just wanted to see if I had the uh, the machismo, the intestinal fortitude to uh, to, to go in it. there alone. You're supposed but, to take a girl up there. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, you leave room for Mothman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I've been up there with many ladies and, and gentlemen and oh. uh, in groups, but uh, <laughs> but well, what happened was my a couple of my buddies, John and Tim, they're the guys that that fly the Mothman during the hayride in the TNT area at the festival by night. By day, they portray the men in black. Well, we went down there this weekend because the week before, one of those igloos, one of those bunkers blew its top. Somebody, now these, these had been uh, sold or rented to private interest in some respects. Somebody had stored some kind of uh, explosives in there that were not registered. And one night, late at night, it blew. And this is these concrete structures. The top blew off. The iron doors blew out. And you can still see that now. It looks like it's all overgrown with foliage. It looks like something out of the George Powell's The Time Machine now. 
But we went down there to check it out. So this is the week after. So uh, they went home early. And I thought, I'm going to go out in the TNT area in the dark. I had my camera. I had my uh, flashlight with my my uh, digital recorder, duct tape to it. I looked like a real paranormal investigator. And the plan was to go to Potter's Creek Road, go down to Igloo Road number seven, just go into Igloo Road, Igloo number two, and just to see if I could do it. And I did it. It was late May. It, the sound out there was deafening with all the the cryptid, the, not the cryptids, the critters, the, oh. <laughs> the bugs. Crickets you know. and yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. There was a Bigfoot howling out there. I wouldn't hear him. And so I, I drove back. And as I drove back along Route 62, uh, it was it, it's really dark. And I experienced a couple flashes of light, like a strobe. And I thought, that's weird. And, you know, when I, when I look back at all this, I didn't write anything down. Uh, I should have tried to figure out where that was in the road so I could come back the next day to look. Uh, so anyway, I, I get back across the bridge because I was staying at a uh, motel across the river in Gallipolis. And I walked into my room. Now, this is someone who never, ever has anything happen to him. I opened the door and the TV set turned down by itself and started flipping through channels steadily. I oh. thought, oh, and that's what I thought. I said, nope, I don't, uh, this doesn't happen to me. I looked at the clock and I thought, well, I didn't have any missing time, but now that I think back, I'm not sure. I didn't, I should have written everything down. I've heard other people that have experiences like this also don't, aren't really fully in the moment and don't really capture everything the way they should. But uh, now there's a postscript to that. Now, I, well, by the way, I did what any uh, intrepid paranormal investigator would do. I unplugged the TV set and went to bed. Okay. Now, <laughs> one year later, same month, I'm with the same two guys. We're crammed into a room, saving money, and we're talking that night, and the TV set turns on by itself. This is in the room next to the room we were in. Now, these were both older-style TVs. We thought, that's weird. Next day, Tim and I came back to the room for something to get something. TV set turned on by itself, flipped through a couple stations and stopped. And so we, we did what I should have done before. We took the uh, remote and tried to zap it through walls and to see if the, some kind of stray signal doing this. And we couldn't get it to work. The final part of this, a few years later, it's the Mothman Festival. The next room, which is a corner room, is a bigger room. Two uh, people we know there, there's two couples in there. They have a new one of the new modern uh, uh, smart TVs. Oh, there's that, yeah. They're having trouble with the volume. They have to keep turning it up to hear it. Then all of a sudden it starts blasting and then they have to go through the whole process again. All of a sudden there was a can of something sitting on the uh, nightstand and it flew off and hit the floor. So I tell people my theory is that if I brought something back with me from the TNT area, it's still there flipping channels, fortunately, and did not come home with me. But that's uh, yeah, my entire experience in the paranormal. That's pretty hefty. Like that would yeah. say that's, that's the experience has got some weight to it. So the Mothman Festival happens every year in West Virginia? Uh, except for the last two years for obvious reasons. But uh, every, oh, yeah. every third yeah. weekend of September. And uh, it's uh, right in downtown Point Pleasant. The uh, the Mothman Museum's there. The statue's there. Um they're uh, the speakers. They have uh, speakers Saturday and Sunday are going to be in the new River Museum, uh, right just right down the street. Uh, the you know speakers talk about everything. The the main street has, you know, all the usual stuff: T-shirts, food, 
bouncy houses. You guys love bouncy houses, right? Um, yeah. Okay. We're very I active can, in the bouncy house community. I, I can do it. Up. But anyway, in the, usually in the vacant lot there, we have a, a Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, which is about two stories high. And plenty it's of Ghostbusters. Not a cryptid. No, no, no. But, uh, you know, entertaining for the kids. Yeah. Uh, there's even a zip line there if you want to do a zip line. The speakers oh. usually have their tables right where the Mothman is. But the best part of all, now, you, if you, ladies and gentlemen, if you get there, get there early Saturday. The only thing that costs a few bucks is your ticket for the TNT Hayride Saturday night. We take unwary people into the dreaded TNT area where the Mothman was for a scene. And it's, we got three tractors, three carts. Jeff Wamsley has the only proper hayride. I mean, he has bales of hay on his. Uh, Brittany and I, we have what I call the old man carts with nice, comfortable seats. Those are the ones you want, right? And yeah. we take off. We actually start at the Farm Museum, which is right across from where the old North Power Plant used to be before they turned it down, tore it down. So we go into the, now the TNT area is creepy as hell in the daytime. It's super creepy at night. And, you know, there's, there's, it's set up a little bit like a Halloween hayride, but you don't really need anything. It's so atmospheric. But the first thing that happens is where you're accosted by the men in black. There's three guys there in their black suits, dark sunglasses and fedoras, and they've got a bullhorn. And they tell you that this is a restricted area. And, you know, we there's banter back and forth. They're, they're, they're more like the Keystone cops than the men in black. But there is, now there's some of the old structures are still there. It's really creepy. Now, my buddies, John and Tim, they are the men behind the curtain. They hide behind the old acid plant with all the foliage. They got the Mothman, an ingenious reworked mannequin with red glowing eyes and wings. Uh, it comes down a wire. They have this ingenious low-tech delivery system with hand crank. And they have this sound effect, which they have, I can't tell you where they got the sound effect from because they have never paid any royalties and I don't want them to be incarcerated or fined <laughs> before the festival, but it is awesome. So at some point, you know, it, it's fun because especially when the little kids are on, you know, you tell them, well, you know, we Mothman really hasn't been seen much since the sixties. We can't guarantee there's a sighting of a Mothman. And of course there's no refunds. And of course he's right around the corner when it come down the wire. What? You got to have a good wind up. <laughs> if I have the energy and time, I, I have uh, reconstituted some of the uh, some of the critters, the giant spiders and stuff that I used to have in front of my house in Michigan have been moved to the uh, uh, different areas of the TNT area. So there's a few other things to see there. But it is, you know, it's, it's I tell people when I'm at the Mothman Museum, I always tell people about the festival. And it's a place where you can, uh, if you're into this sort of thing, you can talk to people uh, about these ideas, these subjects unlike some of your family members and co-workers that look at you sideways like, uh, what did you do last weekend? You, you went where? You did it on purpose, you know? So you heard it here, folks. There is still time to mark your calendars and pack your bags and yes, attend sir. the 2022 Mothman Festival. So yeah, Mothman really hasn't been, like, he, yeah, it looks really fun. So he's not been active here. They have not been active since the 60s. Do you think? Well, it it, there's away? been a few sightings that people. Few, very, very random. Maybe. Yes. In the 90s, right? Yes. 90s and even even a little more recent. Uh, I can't remember the date exactly. Uh, forgive me, uh, Seth Breedlove, but he's done some great documentaries where he, he has had people that uh, have uh, claimed to see something that. And who knows if it was the same 
thing, the same energy right. or creature or manifestation. We, we don't really know. And where can our listeners find you, Steve? Because you are an absolute treasure trove of knowledge about this subject. Absolutely. I am blown away. <laughs> well, thank you. I uh, You can find me on Facebook, Steve Ward. I think back in the old days when I was in Michigan, I used to tell people to type in Battle Creek and Steve Ward, they could find me. I'm assuming if you type in Steve Ward in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, that is, um, that you'll probably find me. I don't have a, uh, uh, a website or anything like that. I uh, my 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 radio show, my, my podcast has been a hiatus since I have moved and there's still so much to do. But uh, yeah. it's the high strangeness factor. Uh, there's about almost three years of, of, of back episodes um, on the Paranormal UK radio network. My regular co-host is uh, Andy Mercer, who's a Brit, who is also my producer. So if uh, if uh, you, you won't hear that show unless Andy does his magic and actually produces it. And I have other other people that rotate as uh, co-hosts. I've had a great, uh, great luck with uh, all kinds of different people from different walks. And uh, they're not people I have to agree with by any means. Um, everybody, you know, we, we just talk about what they want to talk about. And but it does have a a Keelian uh, valet thread to it. I mean, uh, one of my friends said that uh, he should start a drinking game for every time I start talking about John Keel, somebody should, uh, you know, take a swig. Take a but, shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alcohol poisoning. <laughs> but yeah, you know, as, as you so can, much. Oh, I'm just going to say, as you can see, we started out in one area and it's, it's so easy. There, there are so many. My interests are parallels, connections, and patterns with different types of phenomena in different different uh, parts of the country, different time periods, and with different types of phenomena. It's just it's well, I can never. See the, I can see the puzzle that you've kind of put together through all of that. Like there are connect, there appears to be connecting pieces to that, and you know, and it very well could be like you're saying a portal situation or something linking there. The veil is very thin, but all sorts of things come out of that hole. Yes. Like a cloaca. <laughs> and, uh, and we don't know how to... Thinking uh, about that all day. That. Okay, yes. That is an image, isn't it? <laughs> it's something. We have yeah, mothmen, werewolves, fairies, and extraterrestrials existing somewhere and, and crossing in West Virginia. We have these bizarre one-offs. Like the Enfield Horror in Illinois had three legs, pink glowing eyes, and arms that jutted out of his chest. Was seen a couple times. The Dover Demon looked like an undernourished gray without a flying saucer a couple times in Massachusetts. And the the, the Frogman, the, the Loveland Frogman, Miami River, Ohio. I mean, these things, they're, they're you know, Bigfoot, we can kind of wrap mm -hmm. our, our mind around winged apparitions, creatures, but what the heck? I want it to all come from the same place. I do. It, it could possibly be. It could possibly be. I want it all to come on this show. Magonia. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much for joining us this evening. You have been an absolute delight. Well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. We're setting up for a part two. If you have burning Mothman questions, cryptid questions in general, because Steve knows them all. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah amazing. set us up for a follow-up. Reach out. Yeah, let's, but leave do the another one. Let's talk it. about patterns that show up. Patterns you wouldn't even believe would would connect. Yeah, like, reach out with your own strange experiences. Oh yeah. 
we're going to find the patterns. This has been another episode of Dead Girls Talking. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We want to hear from you. Send us your burning questions, reactions, and suggestions for future topics. Follow us on Instagram at Dead Girls Talking. Tweet us at Dead Girls Talk or send us a good old-fashioned email at deadgirlstalking to you at gmail.com. That's the number two and the letter U. Until next time, keep it spooky.